Glad that you're here. We'll have our house lights up in just a moment. I want to encourage you to take your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn over there. You go, can you see your Bibles now? Yeah, take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 15. Nick, um, God's kind of changed my heart a little bit, uh, so I don't know if you'll be able to stay with me or not. Uh, if you can, it's okay, but uh, part of what I feel like I'm supposed to share uh, you, I think you'll be able to pull it up, okay? But I was uh, struggling this morning, and uh, as we were worshiping my heart, it always scares me when God begins to change my message, especially about three or four or five minutes before it's supposed to be given, you know. But God has. And I want you to bear with me a little bit this morning. I, I, I just want to share, share my heart with you. And, and, and Maybe this is why, uh, maybe this is why God has changed my heart. Gang, I, I've been pastoring close to 30 years. And in those 30 years, I, I think that the church, and I'm talking about the church all over the United States, I'm talking about the church that collects at Baptists, facilities all over and Methodist facilities and Church of Christ facilities and Pentecostal facilities. I, I think we may have missed something very important. As I was studying the past week, in fact, yesterday morning I was writing uh, my message and I got a phone call that a dear friend of mine and a dear, that's just God speaking, a dear friend of our church, our maintenance manager was taken to the hospital, David Hudson Bubba. And uh, I, um, I tried to finish up the, the message real quickly so I could get up there. And um, as I was driving up there, I began to think about my friend's life. And I don't know if you know David or not, but over the last five or six, seven years, I don't know of a guy that loves God more, that seeks to honor God more, and serve God more than Bubba, and not make a lot of money doing it. And I thought about this man who God so radically saved. And then I thought about Bubba before Bubba came to know Christ. And it dawned on me that when God captures a heart, that when God grabs hold of a heart, that God changes that heart. That was part of the struggle of the early church in Jerusalem. That's why I wanted to go to, and we will go to Acts 15. Part of the struggle they had was that, that God was just saving Gentiles in mass. And the Jews, where the gospel began with, we're beginning to lose a little control, and they were having a little bit of a struggle 
getting their head around it. According to the Jews, their religion was that while God may save, that for someone to really truly be saved, they had to fit a certain category. They had to keep certain laws. In fact, Acts 15, they said they had to be circumcised. Oh, we're excited about the Gentiles. It's not a question, can they be saved? But it's a question, how they are going to be saved? And they have to be saved according to our idea. According to our rules and according to our regulations, they have to be saved by keeping the law of Moses. They have to be saved through, for, through circumcision, or they really can't even be saved. Now, what they were saying was this. If, in today's vernacular, they would be saying something like, well, you can't really be saved unless you become a Baptist. You ever heard that? Or you really, I understand you think you're saved, but you can't be saved unless you become a Presbyterian. Or you really can't be saved unless you get this Holy Ghost that comes a little later. And so they were wrestling through all of this issue that, that you have to be saved our way. And they had a big dissension about it. They had, in fact, my idea was this morning, they had a big business meeting. You remember the business meetings? And so they began to grapple through. How can someone truly be saved? Do they have to be saved our way? Do they have to be saved according to our rules? Or is there something larger? Is there something bigger? And so what happens is they have this big dissension. They can't come to terms. They send the group to Jerusalem, and they have this big business meeting in Jerusalem. And apparently it was one of those Baptist business meetings because there was a whole lot of discussion. I can just see it. You know, I'm glad we don't have business meetings here. Praise God. Amen. Amen. But, you know, they all kept talking. Someone probably stood in the corner and said, well, I've been a deacon of this thing for a long time. Here's what I think. Someone else said, well, you know, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Here's what I think. And they all got wrapped up in all of this legalism and all of this law keeping and all of this, you got to get saved our way or you're really not saved at all. And then Peter stands up, and Peter makes the statement and clears the air on what salvation really is. Now, gang, listen, if they'd uh, got it wrong at this business meeting, all of the church would have had trouble with it. But praise God at the end, they got it right. Let me, would you stand with me in Acts 15? Let me read you a few verses and then just kind of, I don't know, let me just talk to you, okay? It's probably the weirdest Easter message you ever heard, okay? Acts 15, let's, let's read verses 1 and 2 together, okay? Now some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom, that, the word custom really means law there. According to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Does that sound like a Baptist to you? Huh? And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate, that's, that's what Baptists do a real, some people do a lot with them. 
the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Now I want you to move over to verse 6, and we'll read through verse 11. So they, they go to Jerusalem, and they have this big business meeting. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, can you get the picture again? Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. Who gives the Holy Spirit? Someone say God. Yeah. It's not a man-centered idea. It's not something that man works up. It's something that's given as a gift from a holy, righteous God. He gave them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And notice, he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their heart. Who cleansed their heart? God did. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which our fathers or we can't even able to bear. But now here's the key. This is where they win. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. In the same way as they also. Notice what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say they're saved like we are. If he had done that, it could have thrown them all the way back into this legalism. But Peter says, we are saved just like they are saved. How were they saved? By grace in the Lord Jesus. Father, in the next few moments, please clear up. My, the fog in my heart right now, because this is different than what I, I intended. So God, be glorified. And may your Holy Spirit be pleased to help us understand salvation, truth, the doctrine of salvation, so that we may not ever again, as a church of Jesus Christ, may we in the churches not lead people astray. May we realize they don't have to conform to the way we look and smell and dress and act. They have to conform to what the scriptures say about salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Be seated. Gang, this business meeting they had wasn't a business meeting to decide what color of carpet they were going to have. It wasn't a business meeting to decide what color of paint was going to be on the walls, okay? This business meeting they had was a business meeting that dealt with the doctrine of salvation. And we can be wrong in a lot of other areas. We can be right in a lot of other areas. 
Man, we can have our ideas about church polity, about what kind of music we ought to have or what kind of system we ought to have or what kind of liturgical worship we ought to have. We can be right or wrong on a lot of things, but I want to tell you where we can't be wrong on. And I believe where we are wrong a lot. And that is the doctrine of salvation. We cannot be wrong on how a man and a woman and a boy and a girl Go to heaven. That's what they were grappling with. That's what this business meeting was all about. Peter stands up and he said, we're saved just like they were saved. And it had nothing to do with law. It had nothing to do with Moses. It had nothing to do with circumcision and the keeping of rules and regulations and punching the chats clearly. They were saved and we are saved by God's grace alone. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you three requisites. Nick, this is where you may be able to stay up with me, okay? Three requisites on how a person is saved by grace. Number one, there has to be a prior work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Now, I want you to listen to me. Here's where I think we miss it so much. And the reason I guess maybe God stirred my heart is because I knew Bubba before. Man, I witnessed to Bubba before. I, I, I begged Bubba to go to church before. I, I tried to get him to go. to. He's friends with some good friends in our church, and they kept trying to get him to come. He had nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ until God began his work in his heart. And when God began... To work in his heart. He didn't need Mark Moorhead and Mike Moorhead inviting him to church. He didn't need a preacher by the name of Tom Williams knocking on his door, begging him to get right with God, begging him to come to church. When God got hold of his life, everything radically changed in his life. And I want to tell you, when God gets hold of a heart, when the work of the Holy Spirit begins in our heart, that person is going to understand the beauty of what salvation is all about. I believe this. I believe we've raised a generation of people who think they can come and be saved at their own beck and call, at their own desire, anytime they want. Listen, Bubba wasn't looking for God. People in sin aren't looking for God. People in sin aren't seeking after God. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't have any ability to do anything for God until God begins his reign. Isn't that true in your life, those of you that are saved? And you look back over your life, man, you're living in sin, loving every minute of it. You're on your way to hell, loving every minute of it. You love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil. How does that evil person, how does he who is an abomination to God, how does he change? He can't. Until God begins his work, I believe we've raised a generation thinking that salvation is all based upon the whims of man. Oh, I've said a little prayer. I had someone tell me that recently. Hey, I walked an aisle and was baptized. I had someone tell me that recently. I had a, a moment where I felt guilty about my sin. My conscience was burned. And so I 
called out to God and some preacher told me all I had to do was do one, follow a formula, one, two, three, and all of a sudden I'm saved. And yet there's been no work of the Holy Spirit in the convicting, in the changing of that life. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the first thing he does, he, he convinces you of sin. You see, people, God and God alone, in his grace alone, can help you see that sin is blasphemy against his holy throne. That sin is abomination against his holy character. The lost, they don't understand sin. The lost can't understand what sin really is and the effects of sin and the consequences of sin unless the Holy Spirit illuminates it. First of all, God convinces you of sin and then he convicts you of your personal sin. He drives the awareness of your sin deep into your heart. He makes sin personal. It is you, dear people. It is me, dear people, that have blasphemed God. It is I who have an abomination against a holy, righteous God. And only the Holy Spirit can show that. And only the Holy Spirit can not only convince you, but convict you of that, you see. And then the Holy Spirit cleanses you from sin. We call that the regeneration of the heart. It is God alone that produces new life in you. We call it the quickening of the spiritual dead to life in Christ. And I tell you what I believe in all of these 30 years, I believe it's stronger right now than when I began. I believe we've many missed this first stage. They never think, is God in this or is it some circumstance I'm in? Or some guilt that I'm struggling with? Or some formula that I follow. They never understand. You can't be saved until the Holy Spirit begins His work of conviction and cleansing of sin in your life. No one can come, the Bible says, unless the Spirit of God draws Him. And the question I think you need to ask yourself is, is God convicting me? Is God, or has maybe in the past, has God convicted me of my sin, showed me my ungodliness, how that because of my sin, the Father slayed His Son, sacrificed His Son upon the cross of Jesus. If you miss the first, then you'll never get the rest. And the Jews, back in this first church, we're trying to fit the Gentiles into their mode, into their idea of what salvation is. I want to tell you, gang, listen to me. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about being a Methodist. It's not about being a Presbyterian. It's about being born again by the Spirit of God who regenerates the heart and cleanses you from sin and gives you life eternal. That's what the work of the Spirit does. Why, why do you think? Why do you think, dear people? We've got names on rolls of every church all across this great country, and we don't have any idea where they are. 
You go to the average church today and you take the preacher and say, pull out the roll and he'll give you a roll about a half inch thick. And you say, well, how many are coming? The average Sunday school is about 60, 65 today. Well, dude, you got 2,000 on your roll. Where are they? I don't know. Are they dead? I don't know. Why don't you know? Why aren't they here? I mean, if you call them and you beg them and you put a guilt trip on them, you'd think they would come every once in a while. Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. They're lost. They've never been regenerated. This morning, you may have never had a work of the Spirit in your life at all. I want to tell you, you're lost. You need to ask yourself, God, God, is your Holy Spirit working, squeezing, convicting, wooing, helping me understand the sin that besets me, that will ultimately condemn me when it's pushed up against your holy character? The second requisite is not just the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's a proper response of man. You see, when God generates the heart, man responds with repentance and faith, gang. The Bible says that's a gift that is received. And if there is no gift that is received, if there is no regeneration, then all you have is a guilty conscience or perhaps a pressure of the moment of circumstance thing going on in your life. You see, eternal faith is not born from man. It is birthed from God's sovereign activity in your life. And we're so lost that we think we can wink at our sin. And we think we can wink at God. And we fail to understand that, that salvation is brokenness before holiness. It drives the man to his knees in humility, searching for, seeking after, and then following after the heart of God. There is the work of the Holy Spirit. There is the response of man. And then number three, the requisite, is the persistent proof of life. Dear people, justification by faith alone means that man shows by his life outward consistently, persistently what God has wrought inwardly. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit shows the real deal. It shows that God's righteousness has been deposited into the heart. The proof is in the life. The proof is seeing the life of the believer following after God. I was at a Bible conference in Florida some months ago. And as the preacher was a pre great preacher, Presbyterian preacher, wasn't even Baptist, I was a heretic. And boy, he was preaching about salvation, man. The truth of salvation. And I pulled out my... my Smartphone. I'm not very smart, but I got a smartphone. And I started typing in. And do we have that up there? Something to chew on? Yeah, this is what I, this is what I typed in. 
When you come to the end of your life, do you want to die with a faith that comes from your choice, knowing the wickedness of your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, the Bible says, right? When you come to the end of your life, do you want to die with a faith that comes from your choice? Or do you want to die with a faith that comes from his choice? That's what Acts 15, God gave them this. A faith that comes as a gift of his grace alone. You see, the gift that he gives is based upon first the work of the Holy Spirit. It's based upon the response correctly of man. And it's proved by the life in which that man lives. That's not a Baptist doctrine, dear people. That's not a Presbyterian doctrine. That's not a Methodist doctrine. That is a Bible doctrine. That's what Peter said when he stood before the, this mass of people who were grappling with the doctrine of salvation. They were trying to get their head around, well, how can this group be saved? They've never followed the law. How can this group be saved? They've never been circumcised. How can this group be saved? Because they don't fit our mode. They don't fit our idea. They don't fit our plan. And Peter stands, we believe. It is by the grace of God alone. And I want to proclaim to you on this risen, uh, resurrected morning that we celebrate the risen Lord. I want to proclaim to you that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only truth that, that, that shows a man the way of salvation. That's the only truth that at the end of it all, when the dust settles and the curtain is closed and the sun sets, faith in Jesus, justification by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, is the only basis upon which a man and a woman will go to heaven. That's the basis upon the regeneration of the heart, the quickening of the life from the dead. The basis of faith in Christ and repentance of sin that's shown in your life. I've watched my friend over the last five to seven years. And I wondered from time to time, is it real? Could this be real? This, listen. He'll tell you. You talk about a renegade. Man, you talk about a renegade. But it's been real. It's been true. Because I've watched. I've watched. And when God does his thing that only he can do, it becomes real. And so my question this morning, is it real for you? Let's pray. Laura's going to come. She's going to sing a song for us.